Welcome to BNB Books and Banter, a podcast where we are currently reading through Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. This is Linda. And I'm Sarah. We're currently reading the first book, The Way of Kings. Okay, so, chapter 36. In which we discuss the questions related to morals with Shalon. This is a very uncomfortable chapter. And we would totally understand if you skip this chapter. The lesson. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. It's a lot. There's a lot going on here, actually. All right. Well, let's tackle this quote first. Yes. Taking the dawn shard, known to bite any creature voidish or mortal, he crawled up the steps crafted for heralds, ten strides tall apiece toward the grand temple above. And it's from a poem. Mm-hmm. Um, and we absolutely have no idea what dawn shards are. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like the scholars ignore them. Though talk was prevalent among those recording the early mythologies. Right. And I like how it's bind any creature, voidish or mortal. Mm. So you have creatures from the void and you have mortal creatures. Yeah. So if we were to go by Dalinar's vision... He would have been the mortal creature, and the black creature would have been from the void. That's what I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Known to bind any creature. See, bind is such a interesting term, right? Mm. So I wonder what the dawn shard does. Yes. How does it bind? Yeah, or is. We have no idea. We have a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. It makes me think this dawn shard is related to the dawn chant we talked about in. Yes. Previously, in a quote, sounds like they're right in the same era, mm. but somehow they can't read. Uh, so maybe because we suspect these are from Shalon's notes, maybe Shalon herself hasn't learned Dawn chant and other people have and can translate. Mm. Maybe. Or are these Jasna's notes? Because the more we get into it, the more relevant they seem to be to Jasna's research. Mm-hmm. We don't know yet. We don't know. We're just observing things. <laughs> yeah. So this chapter starts with Shalon is reading a book mm-hmm. while Jasna is in her bathing chamber, bathing, soaking in a bath. Right. And to be honest, this sounds like an amazing place to soak, to be honest. Yes. <laughs> sounds like uh, the hot springs, right? Or at least a hot tub. Yes. Well, the way the water is heated is through these fabrials that produce heat. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it remains warm or hot for a long time. So you could stay in there for hours. At the perfect temperature. Yeah. Whereas... For Shalon, a bath to her is dozens of parchment carrying heated buckets of water, followed by a quick scrub in the brass tub before the water cooled. Mm-hmm. Which sounds like a not very relaxing way to bathe. And the water is not carried into this place, it comes out of pipes. It's like plumbing exists in this place. So they're obviously far more modern in their way of thinking and designing this is carbranth mm-hmm. though so i think it's specific only to carbranth right 
Yes. Well, it's definitely not in Jacovite. That's for sure. But we do know Alethkar isn't exactly shabby either. So, I mean, they developed their own Fabrials. Um, I'm sure the concept of piping and sewage is not foreign. So maybe there's something similar in the palace or in, you know, the... I wouldn't say higher tier, but the upper caste of the light eye nobility. Yeah. We need to hang out with uh, Sidaeus more. He'd probably have this kind of setup technology. In his actual... Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know Dalinar wouldn't. He probably wouldn't, but there's also the fact that maybe it isn't his call, right? Maybe somebody else who's in charge of the household already put it in because they think it's a right of status type thing. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Well, speaking of Dalinar, the book that Shalon's reading is actually Galvalar's account of meeting with Strange Parshman, later known as Parshendi. Mm -hmm. And it is Galvalar's account as he spoke it to Jasna years ago. So this book is written by Jasna. Yes. And it causes Shalon to ask some questions, right? Yes, because... Well, the passage covers, I think the passage covers two interesting things. It covers natives. The potential start of the war. Yeah, it covers the potential start of the war. And we're talking about the war, not the war for revenge, not the vengeance pack, but the war that was previously fought before that, that led to the peace treaty at the celebration at the start of the book. Was there a war that led to the peace treaty? Or I thought the treaty... Oh, never mind. <laughs> no, no, no. I think you're right. The treaty was in advance and they didn't want to fight the war. You mm. are right. Sorry. I think too much. Um, <laughs> but I have highlighted that uh, the treaty, however, would have prevented the Parshendi from trading their shards to other kingdoms without going to Alethkar first. And perhaps that's all Gavilar wanted to do. Yes. So Gavilar is based off his observations, is suspicious that the Parshendi have shards and mayhap he wasn't going to forcibly seize it, but we don't know. But we know that he knows that they have shards and what he intended to do is unknown, right? With that knowledge, like what is he wanting to do? What's his play? We have no idea. Yeah. And at this point, Shalon still cannot swap the um soul casters before we go on to that i i do want to go back to the actual passage she was reading okay um because she mentions well what she what she reads is that they would meet with natives not parchment natan people now natanatan is a place mm -hmm. in the frostlands it's beyond the shattered plains so there's more than just parchendi out in the shattered plains Beyond that, there is another group of people whom Gavilar has actually visited before, but this separate set of people that they meet, they've never seen anything like this, which is Parshman living on their own. Yes. So this is a new concept for Gavilar at the time, even though he was well-traveled. Yes, he was very well-traveled, but the Parshman that he had seen and grown up with in Alethkar whom he had always assumed could not survive on their own without someone there to guide them or give them instructions, live out here 
have created their own civilization and can survive quite well. So these are what become the Parshendi in the eyes of the Alethi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a. It's kind of crazy to think that there's still things that Alethkar doesn't know, mm. given how influential they are. Yes, or how big they seem to be. Mm-hmm. Dominating. How do they not know about an area that they border? Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder about that. I wonder about the timing of this. Like, it sounds like they kept those, the natives, kept to themselves for a very long time. Yep. Also of note is that books tend to have, um, tend to be, what's the word, annotated? Yes. I, <laughs> I did want to talk about that. I was <laughs> excited when I read it. <laughs> so most books are dictated by men had an undertext notes added by the woman or ardent who scribed the book. So these undertexts are by unspoken agreement never shared aloud, which means that they are for the women reading it only. Or the ardent. Or the ardent. And this is sometimes how women contradict (laughs) what is being dictated to them. (laughs) So Jasna has added an undertext. Yep. Which, apart from the fact that she has made her father sound more um, scholarly and impressive through her choice of words, it's the fact that King Gavilar originally ignored these parchment. And it was only after he was expla- it was explained by scholars and scribes that he understood the importance of what he had discovered. Yes, discovered, yeah. But what does that say about Gavilar as a ruler, though? That, that people could come up to him and say, this is important... This is different. We should really look into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would it have been that when he originally dictated what he had seen back, the, the scholar or the scribe who was do who was taking the notes went, um, hang on a minute. <laughs> can can you just do, elaborate on that a bit? That's that's kind of unusual. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I just I think it does say it does say a lot about Gavilar as a ruler that he does listen. Yes. still think it's cool that you can add undertext and that it's unspoken, that you don't read it out loud. And it's just, uh, it's a lot more personality. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. And it shows how seriously these scholars take their study and their work. Mm-hmm. In that if they are taking down what is being dictated to them, they are still analyzing it and putting corrections in where they think there needs to be corrections or clarifications. Yep. But yes, Jasna's floating in the pool. Relaxing. Relaxing. And her soul caster is sitting on her clothing. Yep. Far away from her. Well, not very far, but you know. Far enough. Not within arm's reach. Yeah. And Shalon does not switch the thingy thing. Soul caster. <laughs> Goodness, soulcasters do not exist for me today, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so she has the opportunity to switch out the soulcasters. Yes. She has ample opportunity to do it. And yet, she still does not make the switch. 
and Jasna actually says something to her at just the right time. Mm -hmm. It's a compliment. Yeah, to halt her in her progress because she was trying to convince herself to just switch it out. Just do it. Just make the swap. Right. And it's a very high compliment because Jasna is admitting to her wrong and acknowledging Shalon's progress. Yes. Which we already had kind of assumed that Jasna knew that she would be a good scholar and was trying to push her in that way. Yeah. But to say it out loud, to admit to the wrong and to compliment, I mean, not everybody's capable of that. Yeah. And the fact that Jasna's a hard taskmaster and the fact that she so rarely gives compliments means that Shalon knows she's earned it and she knows the standards that Jasna has. Yep. So, yep. Yeah, so it halts Shalon in her tracks and she cannot switch out the Zulcaster. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Jasna doesn't know why, but she does comment on the fact that Shalon looks anxious after this. <laughs> Maybe she's just not used to being so scholarly. Whatever the case... Jasna decides they should uh, leave the Palladium for a little bit. Yes, have some more hands-on education. Mm. <laughs> hands-on philosophy. <laughs> philosophy being hands-on is interesting. Mm -hmm. But because it is a philosophical discussion, right? We the crux of the matter becomes: Is it okay for you know someone to invite trouble? if they know that there's trouble in the area, right? Mm. Or is it... Let me see. Let's find that exact moment where she asks the questions. Well, I think coming from two different perspectives, Shalon's perspective is, is it okay to invite trouble? Right. In an area known for trouble. From Jasna's perspective, it is, is it okay to exact justice where society has failed to do so? Yes. And then how far can she exact that justice, right? Yeah, yeah. And then there's that age of questions of, is it worth taking a life to save the lives of how many others? Yes. Right, which do you weigh more? Yes, whose life is worth more? Because is someone who has already taken a life, is their life now worth less? Yes, and then the question that kind of struck me the most is this one deserve to have evil done to her by consequence of putting herself where evil can reach her. Mm. Right. And there's a lot of questions like that could come off of that. Like if you didn't know there was evil in the area and you were there, like, do you deserve what was done to you or for that situation to happen? Well, yeah. At what point do you draw the line? Right. Because let's at the end of the day, there's nobody who can control someone else's action. You can only hope that they are, I wouldn't say obedient, or um, conform, would conform to society's... Expectations. Expectations and laws. and laws. Exactly. This is why society has laws. Exactly. And if those laws aren't fair, right, mm -hmm. and it deserves to be changed, how does one go about doing that, right? Yes. In this case, there is law there that protects its citizens the law is not being enacted. 
because there is corruption or I wouldn't say corruption, but that um, it is corruption. Someone's being paid off. That's corruption. <laughs> I was going to say from the other flip side of it, like we knew Carbrandt has a reputation for having a weak king. So do we blame the king for being weak and not having the influence? Maybe it's not influence. Maybe it's not because. Like, but we also know that the king has requested that this be investigated and right. the people found. Exactly. So if his powers are limited, right, is it his fault? Or is it the fault that this is how the country is set up? Yes. Is it his fault that the people below him do not follow through on his orders? That they do not respect him enough to do that? Mm-hmm. Do, does does Carbaranth need a restructure stronger king or a restructure? Will that solve the problem or not? Well, how can you have a stronger king if you're limited by office, right? I guess that's that's the question too. Is it personal power that you have to bring as a king in order to be a stronger king? Because mm. I imagine that um, does the king of Carbaranth like. I recall reading that he is a pretty popular king, right? If he's already popular, it kind of, to me, implies that he has a certain amount of influence, but yet somehow he can't. He doesn't have enough influence, whether it's because of the way that Carbranth is set up, but he cannot have law enforcement basically enforce the law. <laughs> Which I would say is a very great weakness. Mm-hmm. If you cannot command your own police force, for want of a better word, to follow the law of the city. Mm -hmm. But then what police force in the world is not in some way influenced or steered away from doing certain things at any one time? We're all, we're all human and we are always going to be self-serving in our interests. Yeah, that's just a fact. There's no one who's going to be entirely selfless. Yeah. So with that being said, it's how do you nurture the values of a country such that you would limit the people who would be excessively selfish <laughs> or, ex you know, have enough influence that their self-interest doesn't ruin a country, right? Yeah. How do you limit that? Those are big questions. And, <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know if I'm up to the task of answering. No. And I mean, that's, well, that's the whole point of philosophy, is it not? Right. Yeah, it's, it's a debate, right? It's, and that's the thing, right? Morals are so vague. I would say morals of what's right and what's wrong. Mm. It's entirely dependent on society and the generation, right? Because what's moral now may not have been the same thing like it may not look the same as it did a hundred years from now right or even 20 years ago 30 years ago right so and maybe the morals themselves are the same but how that is expressed can also change with time so it's it's a tough question i mean we see two different sets of morals here between Jasna and Shalon and their age difference is what 12 14 years apart maybe it's not even it's yes I think age plays with it I would say power and influence 
would have something to do with it. Experience as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you were never in that position to be able to see or know about these situations, right? If like Jazza clearly has a lot more information readily available to this particular situation where, you know, she sets them up for this alleyway because she knows all these things, right? And she also has the means of protecting herself. So she has a lot of power, like not just political, but personal that Shalon currently does not have. No. And Shalon has never had to think of more than herself and her family. Yeah. I would say like she knows she has holdings and servants and she she wants to treat them with respect, but I feel like how to manage and run an actual estate doing right by the people. Like I don't think she's quite foster that versus Jasna who has to look out for an entire country. Yeah. So their perspectives are fairly different. And I mean, Jasna as well knows her own reputation. She knows that her presence in Carboranth is damaging the king in certain sectors of society in Carboranth. Mm-hmm. So she is aware that she herself is impacting the king's ability to do things, to govern his city. Mm-hmm. So she sees a lot more than what Shalon sees in this situation. And her approach to it would naturally be different to what Shalon's approach would be, which would be, this is a dangerous situation, I need to remove myself from it. Mm-hmm. Which is actually how, from what we've seen so far, this is how Shalon has always acted. Apart from the fact that she is trying to steal a soulcaster. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, so there's, I mean, the other thing I would like to point out too is Jasna is pushing Shalon to her limits. Yes. Right? And this is a very uncomfortable spot to be in. Shalon clearly was not prepared and the way she responds shows that. And I don't know that if she knew what was going to happen, if she would have, like, had it been just a philosophical debate, right? If they were not in this dangerous situation, how Shalon would have responded, mm. right? And now that she's in the situation, clearly Shalon, what Shalon may have wanted to say in a philosophical debate is clearly very different being in that position. Yes, yes. And I think that was Jasna's point of doing it because... Right. She, like, when you're doing just a philosophical debate in a safe environment... You could say things that you may have no intention that you actually follow, no intention to follow through or believe. Or is... Or it doesn't actually sort of, sorry, it doesn't actually show you the true picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because how you react in the actual situation is going to be very different. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing, like, Shalon didn't know how much of a safe, controlled situation she was in. Mm-hmm. But Jasna does, which is why she has the confidence to be doing what she's doing. Yes. But this perception of the immediate danger, right, and the immediate situation to... I, I think it's almost a little cruel. It is. To really push somebody to expand their limits or expand the horizon in such a way, even though it is a safe and controlled environment. I, maybe safe is not the right word, but in a controlled environment, mm. it doesn't sit... Cr- yeah, it doesn't sit quite right with me, but like at the same time, it's like, would you consent to it? 
mm. to say like here's an experience that will change your perspective there is it is a controlled environment like would you want to come yeah like i think you need consent for sure but secondly it's like how can you experience it the same if you didn't know right mm. so uh, to me this is it's hard to say what the black and white on this is mm. well that's the whole point there the black and white is not black and white not black and white <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know yeah it's hard to say what jasna did right was she exacting justice or was she exacting murder mm. also a question yes she, I mean, we now know she has the power to make people completely transform and disappear. And that's something we learned that is taboo. Like, soulcasters are not meant to be used on people. And Jasna did do it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of layers to this. Jasna's a really complicated character, clearly. She is. And she makes you think, you know. she. If nothing else, we can say that she makes you think, good or bad, we don't know, but we do know that Jasna is uncompromising. Mm -hmm. She did what she thinks she needed to do, and like she won't try to convince you if you don't believe in what she did. Mm -hmm. If you don't agree with her, that's not her concern. She did what she believed was right to do in the situation. Exactly. The law enforcement had not had been given time to bring these people in. And to protect people. And, and to protect people, and they had not. Was she right to murder for men who had been murdering others. other women? <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing. That's the moral question. Yeah. And I would say we're not going to answer that question. No. That's for each reader to decide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and this is not a debate that I would want to spark if it is... I think it takes a certain amount of respect and open-mindedness in order to properly like talk about so sensitive an issue, mm -hmm. too. So, yeah, we'll leave it to you to decide and discuss with your own inner mm -hmm. circle in a respectful way. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a hard thing to talk about. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. And we do know that Shalon does not agree with Jasna's moral compass here. And really, because she was thrown in the situation, is when Shalon finally breaks, is able to, re yeah, to swap the soulcaster. It it really is what pushes her to because she's so sickened by what just happened. She doesn't believe that she does it because she doesn't believe that Jasna deserves to have this soulcaster. Yes, because Jasna did abuse the power of and used it against people how dare she use something beautiful and holy as a device for destruction i don't think that's what she is that what shalom yes thought? that's <laughs> that's a quote from okay. the book <laughs> i was like wait a minute yeah 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 so but you know now shalom's also making a judgment like is what she's doing any better than what jasna did yeah exactly that's the thing jasna has pushed pushed shalom to do something that she was Constantly battling with herself. Well, Shalon didn't push. Shalon made a choice in response to Jasna's actions. That's true. That's true. Uh, Shalon responded to Jasna with carrying out an act that she had been battling with herself for a long time to do. Yeah. I mean, 
that's all I got for this chapter. It's <laughs> it's a lot of it's an uncomfortable situation with a lot of uncomfortable questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'd be interesting to really see when Shalon actually calms down of when she looks back to the situation, what she thinks. Yeah. And if this moral dilemma comes back in some way, shape or form for Shalon to make a choice about um, in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting. I, I would like to know what Shalon's, I guess, development and her approach to this moral question, how that changes or how that grows and how she interacts with this. It's, I would say, it's not something we encounter in our daily lives like that. Mm. Um, it's going to be a monumentous event and it is definitely changes you as a person yeah so this is a hard question and hard to say what we and for me i'm like i can't imagine how what i would do and if my moral stances would change based off of this experience i'm sure it has to change right because it's very moral like what i was trying to say earlier is morals are the values of society as a whole that we conform to right and it's what we choose to be our community value like and they can change what our community upholds and they can change but i was going to say your individual values are deeply personal Mm -hmm. and those your personal values will influence how you interact with the morals of society yes your own morals will change as you grow older experience more yeah your perspective on things will also change and no two people's morals will be the exact same. Exactly. Because they've experienced different things in life. Agree. We will be covering chapters 37 and 38 in the next episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share this with your friends and follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at BN Banter Podcast. Again, that's BN banter podcast to get episode updates. If you extra love us, please leave a review wherever you get your podcast to help spread the joy.